This is the Skelf Podcast, and I am Mark Belden. Skelf is to be found at www.skelf.org.uk. It's a virtual project space accessible to anyone, everywhere. Like a physical artist-run gallery, it's a space created and curated by artists, presenting work in different ways. It's not the documentation of an exhibition happening somewhere else. The site is the space, and the visitor is you on your computer or device. This is the second episode of the podcast, and my guest this time is John Walter. The show John has curated for Skelf is Al Dente. A big part of the exhibition is a series of recordings John made with the artists. Although some of these conversations are conducted off-site or via Skype, they all form some version of the studio visit, dropping in on the artist in their workspace. Maybe it's just me, but I've always found the studio to be a really exciting space. When I was about 16, the art class from my high school took a trip to an open studio event in Oshawa, Ontario, Canada. Oshawa, it must be said, was not the height of cosmopolitan glamour. It's a small city on the outskirts of Toronto's suburban sprawl, and at that point, downtown Oshawa was definitely in a sort of post-industrial decline. As we walked around the open studios, I don't really remember being struck by any artwork in particular, although I'm sure some of it was good. I was more taken with the idea that this was a thing you could do. Give the inside of an old factory a coat of white paint and sit there making sculptures or paintings or whatever. It was so contrary to the very suburban expectations of work or life I'd grown up with, and I think that's the thing that was thrilling. Actually, one detail that's really vivid is a photo that was on the wall. It was a black and white photo of a previous studio event. The artists were all sitting around trestle tables in the space, drinking cheap red wine out of plastic glasses. And in my mind, having amazing esoteric and philosophical conversations, I thought, sign me up. So this time, more than just being an online gallery space, I hope the Al Dente show and this podcast can be a way to enjoy the ambiance and free-form discussions of the studio without the cold, the dust, the tripping hazard of abandoned painting stretchers in the hallway. If you have any questions or comments about the podcast, you can email us at podcast at John Walter dropped by my studio and we discussed the idea of al dente, the process of painting, but we also talked about talking to artists. I should say now, there is the occasional use of explicit language, so be forewarned. John's own work takes many different forms. Painting, video, installation, objects, and even music. He said, I'm a painter, but I make worlds. Before we hear my conversation with John, I thought we could dive into one of those worlds and hear a bit of Capsid from his Alien Sex Club album. Thank you. 
one manama, two manama, three manama, four manama, five manama. So it's al dente, and it's that's mm. the the sort of central idea of the show, mm. and it is it is like a really central question mm. when you're ma when you're making anything when there's not a necessarily a set blueprint mm. for how it will f finish up is like oh, when yeah. does it when is it done mm. and even a digital thing yeah because I've just been working in VR and I've realised there's the same problem which is and it's particularly when you don't know what you're doing because you've got a you've got a making ability so you start off playing with the thing the technique the tools the brushes whatever it is off the package offers you and you think well I'll just do some tests and then you stop and you go oh hang on a minute maybe those tests are the work and that's al dente because yeah. it's just realizing that you probably just did it without knowing yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, how do, okay, how do I frame that? How do I preserve that and mm -hmm. not fuck it up, not ruin it, not overcook it? Yeah. And it's that split second, but it's not a split second. It's like, I mean, I'm a week or two into this playing with VR, but I'm bringing all that painting sensibility to bear on it because it could keep it fresh. Yeah, yeah. But it's a, it's a value system that you have to make up as you go along. And it's sort of a different value system for everyone or every, every practice or every And potentially for every medium. Or, yeah, yeah. I mean, it might be different for a painting than a print. Or you might, you might be able to take the sensibility across the border. Yeah. But you might, there still will be specific environmental constraints, I think. I mean, I don't know, you're a painter as well. Yeah. Does it, does it relate to what you do? Oh, oh yeah, definitely. And I definitely know there's that, um, there's that awful feeling when you've gone too far. Mm. And I, th I think I was trying to think about, like, like, why... I mean, there's sort of... There, I was trying to think of the, the reasons for that you undercook or you overcook. Mm. And I, there's a certain... Yeah, it's starting with something new and there's a certain anxiety or yep. projecting onto it or... Yep. Um, you know, an idea of a work ethic, like, oh, I haven't worked enough on this. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> like, That's um, a classic one. Um, like, oh, no, that was too easy. It can't be good. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And not just not knowing what it is you're looking at. So you yeah. can't know to preserve it or to adulterate it. It's just that, you know, you, I can remember when I was a teenager getting some oil bars for the first time just making some circles on a bit of... I'd painted this thing, this ground with a bit of kind of biscuit-coloured paint from... It was Dulux paint. Okay, yeah. And then I put these funny circles on it, and it was a thing. I mean, yeah. I, it gave something off, but I was too thick to just let it be... I was too slow yeah. to realise. So then I absolutely obliterated it, and then died, you know, really wanted to have the old thing back but couldn't get myself into the state. Oh, really? To do oh, okay. It. Yeah. I think it's about getting yourself in a state. Possibly now I could overcome that. I don't know. But maybe not. Maybe it's just some things have gone. Yeah. 
I've definitely thought about this, but maybe not in the term al dente, but yeah. sometimes I think about things in like tension or mm. that there's a kind of all of a sudden things. There's, yeah, the, it, it's, it's quite hard to pin down. All of a sudden <laughs> something shifts. Yeah. Because it, it depends on the scale of the painting as well. And it's not, I mean, we'll talk, I, I think it's easy to talk about painting. I mean, in a big painting where there's multiple passages, say in Robert Hollyhead's work, yeah. that became much more apparent that there'll be certain tensions that you might want to preserve over here, that the thing going on over here tells you you've, you've got to jettison for the sake of the whole. Whereas on a smaller painting, there might just be one frequency. Yeah, say. yeah. But that complexity of a big work I mean, it might not be big in scale, it just might be big in complexity of that fine-tuning of tensions is really hard. Absolutely. Yeah. That's yeah. not teachable. You have to work that out <laughs> for yourself, I think. Well, I mean, I think that's it. You can always, like, you can always talk about the, um, the context of a work of art or you can talk mm. about the, the, the sort of intent of a work of art, but that, it is that very ineffable thing of when it, it's fulfilled that well, where yeah. it's exciting beyond the context and the intentions, yes. it, or or the imagery, or the period it's made in, or I think someone like David Sally is very good at talking about this because he talks about composition, and it's much more like talking about performance. And why is a good ballet good? Yeah. Well, it, it of course the score and the story need to be there but actually whether you pull the thing off is in the panache you give the performance isn't it mm -hmm. and, and I think Bruce McLean who taught me also understands this in relation to painting that there is a some sort of transference of tension in the body or and, and in the brain and in the hand that you give over to the work of art that comes across to the viewer that mm. is the al dente or the not al dente yeah, um, but that's you know nobody teaches performance in painting, but it is a performance that's just recorded as surface. Yeah, yeah, the sort of yeah, um, caught in the surface. Absolutely, yeah. yeah, and and Caravaggio, who uh, not Caravaggio, Canaletto, who's somebody that Ed and I have talked a lot about, is another example because in those sort of ideograms of dogs and humans and boats. You know, those paintings are collages. They're not yeah. what they appear to be. They're really writing. And they either come off or they don't. And you can see the gesture. And they're on, they're, they're on a kind of microscale compared to Franz Klein or someone. Yeah, but there yeah. still needs to be the same tension to deliver the dog onto the surface in the right space somehow. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's there all along, probably, in history. Yeah. I was also I was also wondering about um, I guess al dente or the, this this sort of I guess an idea of like a repeated process, and I'm mm. trying, I guess listening mm. to the interviews if it, that you would often ask like, is it a series or is yeah. it a series or <laughs> you know or what you know what is the difference between a a, a, a a series in a group, mm. or I mean, it felt like everybody kind of maybe thought about it in slightly different ways. But, yeah, they definitely um, did. Yeah, I was surprised. 
particularly talking about the group rather than the series is not a way I thought about it before. So mm. that was new information. Yeah. I mean, I'm just bringing those things to the table because they're the way I think. Yeah, it felt like the, yeah. this sort of... And I probably do that when you sit down with another artist. It's like, what are the yeah. resonances in the way they're working with yeah. the, the way I've been trying how to... How do I interpret this through how I might... What might this be in my world... And then we can work out, oh, right, you, you've got a completely different way of coming at this than yeah. me. Because do you, do you very much have a set number of things you're going to make? And Yeah, I tend to. It yeah. tends to be quite strict. I'll set up a system. Um, just recently, there's been a set of 20 paintings. Okay. And that was just the, lim- that was the limitation I put on it. Okay. That's how it yeah. had to be. Um, and then within that, I get a spread of a few good ones, some terrible ones, and lots of mediocre ones. Okay. <laughs> and, but would it would be the thought of showing 20, or would it be the... Sh- I might well show 20. Okay. But it, I, there's no necessity to. Okay. It's really a way of testing a, a, a formula. Yeah. So, um, you know, in that particular series, there's each painting has a, a coloured ground different to the other ones mm-hmm. then it has one drawing projected and traced onto it from a different source then they were left and this is very al dente and then about six months later they were intervened in each with a pattern from augustus pugin okay so yeah. they're called brexit gothic okay <laughs> and so right. there's these tensions between uh say tanuki who's this little raccoon dog from Japan mm. with a pattern that may well be on the walls of the Houses of Parliament mm. and these strange en- ways they're energising each other and talking about, I don't know, graphic yeah. languages or something. I mean, Putin's um, always surprising, like, how like how graphic and, like, mm. I don't know, cartoonish or emphatic or whatever. Mm. I don't know the right word for it, but they're... They're always bolder than I Very bold, yeah. And it's something that I'd never been interested in. I'd absolutely rejected mm-hmm. Gothic Revival, um, but it, I'd let it come in, finally. Yeah. I'd transgressed my own taste. That was fun. But, and I guess the, the serial working, or even maybe sometimes in a group, there's that, it's almost like the scientific experiment yes. as well. absolutely. Sort of having a setup and controls and... Having certain variables you yeah. change, or one variable you change and everything else controlled, or whatever. Yeah. That, um, I don't know if that quite works. <laughs> that, yeah, that it's, well. never, it's never as perfect as that, but that's the theory. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was interesting to see in the interviews how other people set their parameters. Mm. I mean, Mikhail, for example five is five or six is about the limit of a, of a set or a group okay, or a series yeah. and that's enough to not get bored okay just yeah. to just to feel there's enough maneuver um and then you know rob is in a different there's a lot of those paintings but to make the full group takes months mm. um because there's so much Prepare, preparation for the performance of painting. Okay, yeah. And then they're rendered in this uh, endurance, essentially. So that was a whole... I mean, his studio is a scientific laboratory. Absolutely 
meticulous arrangement of jars and brushes and nothing was dirty and everything was at right angles and oh, wow. oh it was mind-blowing and it made total sense when you saw the work and saw him and heard him speaking about it but if you'd just gone in through the keyhole I mean it's a sort of psychotic space but fascinating but I suppose it's that that because is it it's sort of a mix of like Demar varnish and yeah. um, stand oil. Stand oil. It's really luscious. Yeah, and, and there's is I guess there's then there's just a moment or or a session <laughs> or whatever yeah. where where the painting takes shape, but it has to. You have to set everything up perfectly so yeah. that, that the ground, yeah. the priming, the sanding, adding in extra titanium white to the oil primer, so it's okay. really bright. And that really comes through. I mean, it's he has set the constraints incredibly tight on the experiment. And then there's one colour per painting. And um, but then within that, the kind of brushwork you can get, the kind of marks, the kind of illusions of quite off the hook. That, and they don't, that doesn't really come across in reproduction, that they're really l- luscious... Mm. viscous things quite juicy quite citrusy Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah photography doesn't really explain them very well and they have a they have a kind of correspondence with this the works on paper he does as well which is sort of a different so there's this stack of work of watercolors that don't look like watercolor they've got they're strangely very saturated and um, he crops these what look like superimposed bits of collage, but actually they're just passages that are left Mm. in the most perfectly rectilinear way. And they're these real interruptions in the fluidity of the mark making, which then get emulated or performed differently in the oil. Um, And I'd never really seen anything like it. Mm. Um, But, you know, they look taped, but they're not, and there's no ridge, and that became very important in the conversation that there's yeah. no taping and they're not to do with that tradition at all. Um, yeah. And there is, there is that thing of where the taping can go wrong or there can be like flooding and there can be a bit of chaos yeah. under the tape that you yeah. don't know about until the end. Or... Whereas Mikhail is the opposite. You know, her work is to do with that tape tradition of painting mm. and encouraging it and extending it by embedding the tape in there and uh, not hiding the illusion yeah, or yeah. playing with when it's tape and when it's not. So, um, yeah, it was quite a broad church I was dealing with, of painting anyway. Yeah, yeah. And one thing that came up, or a word that came up a lot, was cartoon. Mm. And in both senses, in the sense of like the V&A mm. Raphael cartoon as a, as a preparatory thing and mm. also comics or animation yes. or cartoons or um i hadn't thought of that i don't know yeah i think it was just yeah maybe listening to them all as a block it was mm. like oh there's cartoons here but then there's like because the other the, kind of cartoon here. yeah and, there was definitely a conversation i can't remember with who about the study or yeah. you know how how something is a preparation or how direct that thing is a rehearsal or not yeah which may have something to do with the al dente as well which is sort of subliminating to then move to the side and pounce 
rather than go, this directly leads to this. You sort of shelve it for a while in your subconscious and it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. It's still linear. It's just you've tricked yourself to think it's not linear. Yeah. But I mean, cartooning appeals to me, of course. But, oh yeah, but definitely that, um, I guess that's what I was thinking of, that lots of people had different kinds of cartoons Mm. in, in terms of like a preparatory thing or yes or something you've made as a work but it becomes a sketch for a work in a different medium or, yeah um, yes and the drawing and the cartoon being a way of freeing up the painting to be a drawing I mean yeah. Dominic's a good example yeah, yeah where you know those paintings are one take like mm-hmm. a cat's painting you know you either pull them off or you don't and if, the, if you don't you restretch them and you do a different one and um, all the kind of messing around seems to happen in the drawing beforehand yeah um and then that's a springboard for the paint but but i mean that's that's different yeah that springboard is different for each artist isn't it i mean um de kooning who seemed to come up later in the conversation with rob i mean he was a big hero of mine as a teenager but drawing for him was a way of sort of marking stages in letting those paintings be complete. I mean, there's nothing mm. al dente about de Kooning. There's They're not even overcooked. I don't even know what they are. They're like... <laughs> <laughs> they've been so cooked, haven't they? Yeah. I mean, yeah. one layer is fresh, but, like, there's been 20 reworkings. But, you know, with Dominic and, and Edward, I suppose, as well, maybe... If, I don't know. Mikhail is different because she she's... There's more this idea of pentimenti and yeah, and yeah. the evidence of trace and of reworking. Whereas I think with the others, there's an attempt to eliminate or give the illusion that there's no reworking. And I kind of almost related to the cartoon. I guess with Anna, the the idea mm. that ma- maquette comes up, mm. and not, not almost as preparation, but as the the finished form of the work might be a, Absolutely. like a maquette or. Um, yeah, every, I guess everybody's... Her studio was absolutely amazing. I mean, it was just energising to be in there and see somebody that is proliferating these objects at a huge rate. And just, you know, when somebody is really in a zone mm. with something, mm. I mean, it just felt, oh, look, I test this thing over here. Oh, look, it leaps over here. Let's do a carpet version of it. Oh, quick, let me make that building out of cardboard I mean it was really thrilling and they're very very sympathetic objects they you know they betray all of their making and all of her thinking comes across in changing her mind in you know and just leaving just preserving that mm-hmm. and that's a that was exciting to see mm. um yeah the maquettes are interesting and that you know that's something that I've always thought related a lot to the Shonki, which is where the Idente has come from, because architects in architecture school will often just make a quick suggestion of something with the intention that they're going to make the proper model. And it's like, no, 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 that is fine. Yeah, that first yeah. version is so eloquent. Just leave it. And it's some bit of Kellogg's corn packet with a, you know, blue tack and a stick and it's just something you I mean or the classic story when I was at art school Will McLe- uh, Will Allsop who yeah. built the Peckham Library 
we went to his offices and uh, on his desk was a packet of cigarettes, a lighter and a pen. And actually, we were joking that all his buildings are made out of these three things, just mm. reorganised. And really, he would just fiddle about with these on the desk <laughs> <laughs> and then draw from them. So I think, yeah, yeah there is he, some... He yeah. actually he did the extension on the art school in Toronto. Oh, and it's, yes. Um, it's very much, it's a pack of cigarettes held up by some pens. Yeah, it really <laughs> is. <laughs> Is that where you studied? Uh, no, no, no. Okay, but, but that's um, amazing uh, no, building. No, no, it's sort of built uh, around 2000. Okay. So just after. That's a brilliant building. I'd love to go there. I think, do they have Cedric Price's archive? I'm They not had sure. some archives, I think. Yeah. So I'm getting off the point. Oh. But no, there is something about... Um, Anna's definitely a different breed, I suppose, because she's dealing more with 3D space as well. But yeah. it shows that the same rules apply outside of painting, I think. I was thinking it, it's a very different show to Shonky, which mm. was sort of, in a way, you're kind of setting up a context of, mm. around the work you're making, or setting up, a, like, these are the other people working this way, There's mm. or this is a, going back a bit, this is like the tradition, whereas mm. this is very much like, thinking about ways of working, but mm. um, in, in the way it sort of, I guess across the works, they're quite diverse, and they're mm. quite diverse in the sort of presentation, and there probably is something shonky in all the pro practices, mm. but they do, they're not... No, I think it is different. It's more specific, um, and I think it couldn't have happened unless I'd done shonky, because, I, well, I mean, but the, the al dente idea really applied initially to Louise Fishman, who's in Shonky, yeah. because she's a great exponent of that way of working. I mean, Hodgkin isn't al dente because he'll rework things a lot, but he'll, you know, both of them will sort of make the mark and look at the mark mm. to see what the mark is. It's, not, it's partly an intention, but it's partly an acknowledgement that things happen in the mark that can be preserved or eradicated. So, um, and she'll, she'll have a different take on this. I shouldn't speak for her. Yeah. But my interpretation of it, and having seen her in the studio, is that it's a lot about framing, not accidents, but framing attempts, gestures. Mm. Mm -hmm. Gestures is too loaded, but because it ties it into that history of abstract expressionism, which it is part of, but... I think that her work is weirder than that. I mean, it's ugly, and that's part of my pleasure about it. Mm. And that ugliness is al dente. It's like, it's, it's chewy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think it is a different show to Shonky, and I think it's that's partly because of the platform and doing it yeah, online. Yeah. I think that is a, an interesting constraint. It gives it, it forces you to have to think about a show mm. in a different way. Because, um, you know, you could do the Ardente exhibition now, but I'm not sure you need to. It's more interesting to go and hang out with people. Yeah. <laughs> well, and also, I guess it, it is, it, I mean, having seen some of your other shows, I wouldn't have necessarily thought you were going to do a, a painting oh, show. Oh, right. Yeah, so, it, yeah, so there's that, that double surprise there. And then, Brilliant. But there was, there was something I, I really liked in... When you were talking to Dominic, you mm. mentioned that you worked at Cornelis. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I just thought like um, 
and I know how I kind of you know lean on people in mm. in um, art supply shops and mm. paint shops is like what does this do yeah um, will this work for this or mm. uh, you know you're kind of yeah that, that um, you end up being kind of I guess I don't know I haven't worked in an art mm. supply store but you or um, I guess you end up being technical support yeah you in, are in a sort of informal way yeah but also, um, maybe the thing I was thinking about, but it, it might be also for like painters you would never encounter normally in the, in the, the circle of like art school or mm. the contemporary art mm. world. Um, I was thinking of that. I'm always amazed when I uh, meet portrait painters because mm. it's exactly the same materials, but sure. But we'd never <laughs> cross paths. Yeah, know. or egg tempera painters might be an even better example. Oh, okay, I mean, yeah. how fucking weird is that? Let's get the eggs out. <laughs> I mean, I suppose I've had a, diff a funny art education because it's covered a lot of different types mm. of making. I mean, Ed is making his own gesso at the moment to okay. a recipe from the 15th century. Okay. I mean, it's amazing. And with he, like animal glue? Yeah, and... with rabbit skin glue, but also with certain temperatures and layering to get it just right okay and i can't remember who i want to say chimabue but i don't think it is that's a joke who is it he'll tell us he'll laugh at that but it's somebody's recipe okay. and that level of material research and historical research is is definitely you know because i see myself as a painter so it's no surprise mm. to me that i'll just go and hang out with seven painters well anna's maybe not a painter but um yeah, maybe maybe other people don't see it as that, but the pictorial concerns are at the root of it all. Mm. And I mean, at the Ruskin, we had a hilarious workshop where we made egg tempera paintings on gesso okay. panels, and that's really. And also, I mean, that's how he can get into make fresco was absolutely mind blowing to suddenly understand what it means to be up that ladder, painting that ceiling. And what a giornata is, you know, you can get this much done. Yeah, so you've got to design yeah. your thing to be broken apart. So I think that um, it's, or I, see, I see it all within a long tradition of Western mm -hmm. painting. And that's something that has definitely been in the conversation with Ed. And that is something I've realised more and more as I've got older that that is a thing, that is a tradition. Mm -hmm. And you can't appreciate that when you're a younger artist. You can be told that in lectures and taught that, but the real truth of it doesn't come through till much later. So, and I think Anna's very aware of that in looking at all this sort of Cinquecento painting as a resource, as imagery. And um, the, the contemporary is only one resource and might not be the most interesting one i mean cornelison was a real learning experience okay. for me well that's that's what i thought it's yeah. like it's like a very um you'd be talking people through these technical yeah, processes yeah. How to that make you gesso. you've never you might not have been interested in before but then absolutely it's somewhere in the back of your let's mind let's talk about lapis lazuli let's mm. talk about smalt you want to underpaint your lapis with smalt because you don't want to spend all your money on oh, lapis okay. you know um let's talk about why do you need a big belly on your rigger or whatever you know let's talk about brushes why does it make this mark 
Why do you need a synthetic? All that stuff, you know, fat over lean, all mm-hmm. of these things which were sort of abstract and irrelevant in art school, where the conversation was essentially uh, conceptually driven, yeah. even when it was in painting. I mean, there's an art, I mean, I'm not for Terps Banana, but there is an argument for it, which is to say, this is a material practice mm. and you need to know the chemistry of it. Um, I think the chemistry becomes alive when you think about the history of it. What am I trying to say? The chemistry is relevant still. I mean, yeah. Ed doesn't work in uh, usually in water-based media. He works in oil. And now I don't. I haven't used oil for years. I keep meaning to go back to it, but I'm I'm too impatient. It doesn't serve my needs, yeah. even with liquid. And I don't really like. I mean, I like glazing because yeah. I have a natural affinity to watercolor and and translucency. And that's definitely something that got nurtured at, at Cornelison. Was my real appreciation of of the physical properties of materials, particularly mm-hmm. of papers of cotton versus pulp wood pulp and um yeah and the well i guess there's that thing of when you learn some of these things it's like that maybe there's an effect you're going after and you yeah you can you can sort of bang your head against the wall making it with the wrong material and maybe maybe that'll make something interesting but then also sometimes there's a tradition and once yeah. you find out about it you're just like oh i can i can do yeah. this in five minutes there's a technique and there's yeah. a right way absolutely and oh it, look if i put the mark there it stays there rather than wandering yeah and you won't have an angry phone call in five years when it falls <laughs> apart can you remake this <laughs> yeah like, i guess I, I was also thinking because it is um well it's a broad definition of painting it's a painting mm. show or um like painting is it's sort of this weird position of like it's mm. um like it's very very much kind of is this central position in art history but it's also like a craft like yes. it's very and it's it's something that i think still most school kids do or you it's something you play with when you're yep. a child and i mean maybe it's not as dominant in sort of contemporary art but it's still mm. Still, something that's very much. Ba- I'm not sure what I'm it's, saying. No, what you're saying is all of the problems about it. I mean, it's that that that's what makes it interesting. I think. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's not about whether it's dead or not. That that was never relevant. And this comes up when we talk about the painting reader. I mean, I all all of those people are painting readers. They go to look at painting, mm-hmm. and that's that's a. A, that is a culture. There is a painting culture, is another way of saying it, mm-hmm. that is distinct from the broader art culture. So it's a, it's a subculture. Painting is a subculture. It was the predominant culture at one point, mm-hmm. and it may well be again. Probably won't be, just because technologies shift. Um, and I think there, you know, we... we Ed and I talked about the lives of the artists by Vasari, mm-hmm. which is something we were fed as students. And actually, I mean, the truth of it is, it's Giorgio Vasari going, oh, no, you're an artisan, we're artists. <laughs> you know, you're, yeah. we're, we're craftspeople with ideas. 
you're just craftspeople over there, which we know is bullshit. Those craftspeople are equally artists, mm. but that's just a way Western culture has set their game yeah. up. I mean, maybe that's what I was thinking. I was th it was, it's, uh, you know, painting is perceived in a different way than like a, like, like than weaving. Weaving or a, like a very high-level ceramist, someone who's very... Absolutely. And, um, and it's the yeah. same. They're the same. Mm. If you rewrote art history, you could say they're the same. They're just different. And yeah. they've got different... I, I mean, I guess this is quite, like, quite in a Western or a European Absolutely. or North American context. It as is, well. it yeah. is. It, 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 uh, but it, it, it's, a, it's a dominant discussion. And I think that... We can talk about identity politics and we can talk about rewriting the canon for certain uh, voices, but you know, there's also an argument for just rewriting the canon for certain media. And yeah. um, yes, I increasingly see those other d media as more of a resource than painting culture because they're less tapped than painting yeah. is. Yeah. So there's a lot of fresh ground to steal. Yeah. Because, I, I mean, I think even that thing of sort of plundering art history or painting mm. history to kind of, to, you know, trick yourself or kind of, or to move the work forward or have something unexpected happen. It's like painting is quite dense in terms of yes. references and in terms of like, you might find you're borrowing the same thing. You're right. Someone else is borrowing. I mean, of course, or... there is a whole bunch of stuff that nobody's looking at. But yes, yeah. it, I mean, Diana's very good at bringing in these other pictorial worlds, weaving, you mm. know, uh, sewing, other flat things that aren't painted but have a similar illusionistic effect or colour pattern. And, and in, her work is increasingly a kind of hybridizing and and transference of logic from one to the other in order to disrupt each mm. of them for their own um, enlivening it seems um, and it's quite you know when when she told me she'd what was it like 3d scanned this tassel and got oh, okay all this yeah. data you know and was gen just generating these crazy grids and um, yeah it's quite exciting and I think that, because they, I mean, Ed had been in the, he'd been in um, Florence, and there is a load of painting that we don't look at, but there is a, there is a kind of core group of works, isn't there, all yeah. artists, that we just go to for, I don't know, for ease or something. With, the, with Italian painting, there's a weird thing that it's quite regional. So if you go to mm. Milan, they're all, like, most of them you don't, I mean, there's the occasional painting. But, yes. But... It's like the Florentine painters are so dominant. Yeah. <laughs> and you sort of go to the Uffizi and you know everything. And it's you know, hard or, to or you've seen everything that, in a book. It? Yeah. Because yeah. that's now so entrenched in our thinking. We're not going to suddenly all go for the Milanese stuff. Yeah. Unless, yeah. I don't know how you would reboot the thing. Yeah. Reboot art history. The last thing I wanted to talk about was the. the, the the conversations with the mm. artists and um and it's a very particular like like they're really good they're sort of informal but mm. they they do they do sort of stay focused on the work because i mean informal can it's it's almost right. like trying to find an al dente conversation right? <laughs> sort of it's loose enough that you find 
new things out or that mm. the artist feels relaxed or um, did you was there anything you were thinking about in particular when you went into it or the way you wanted to set it up? I suppose or? what I've cut out from each is the, is discussing what the al dente might be as a starting point okay um, which we've discussed but then um, I, I was really I mean they're really meandering that was the per, that, that was deliberate yeah. and I've not I've I've only edited them very slightly to take out some pauses or boring bits, um, but there's hugely boring bits still in. But it's more, yeah, it's what it's like to go and meet somebody at the studio, and also, I mean, I worry that they're a bit too much like tutorials or something because there's a bit too much of me speaking as well. Mm. I think there could be more of the artist, but you know, it's not um, exclusively to topic. It really goes wherever it wants to go. Yeah. Um, and and is the length it wants to be. I mean, I sort of roughly said in my head there'd be an hour each. Yeah. And I think a couple were under and a couple were over. Um, and it was a back and forth because also there are people that will come and visit me and, it, and we'll reciprocate the visit. I mean, we won't re- record that. Yeah. But, um, but, it, but it's nice. It's sort of a window... Because I always feel... Or in starting to do the podcast, I felt, mm. oh, it's like... I know I have this experience of going to someone's studio and it's 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 not so structured but it's a, often a lot more interesting than the interview they'll give mm. you know if somebody asks them very straightforward questions mm. or um, yeah and yes. it, and it, and, it, and a studio visit can kind of meander between yeah like a tutorial mm. or just yeah it can go very lateral tangential There's, people are at ease because they're in their own space mm. i mean they're not at ease because this person's dropped in that's probing them but there yeah. is a um i mean what was n- n- i mean i didn't know anna until recently um and rob is somebody that, that is new to me but everybody else it these were sort of conversations that have been going on for a long time particularly with Ed who I've known for 20 years okay yeah. so it was really nice to capture that and sort of freeze it in time um I don't know how they sound but, but I mean we talked about this off off air but I'd just been reading the Warhol interviews and, okay yeah. and that had really had an impact on and how these have gone in terms of him wearing the the, the tape recorder the whole time Sony and um his lack of interest in editing yeah i mean it was absolutely about proliferating things time capsules that generate more 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 and i think that's uh let somebody else do the editing yeah let the culture do the editing and i mean i think that in especially the early films that come comes across mm. as well that it just let the camera roll and yeah then, um yeah and sometimes it, you do discover things by doing that and yes absolutely and 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 it stops you from overcooking the thing mm-hmm. you know if you make 200 last suppers well you're not going to they can't be labored you've yeah. got to just knock them out and they'll be fresh um, so there's a strategy to quantity that is good yeah yeah um yeah, I always, I always think when when they're retrospectives and stuff, it, it, it always misses the kind of quantity of... Mm. I mean, maybe on the, the painting side, that they'll, mm. they'll have, like, 
four flower paintings when there was yeah. like hundreds. Like a, a, yeah, a warehouse full of yeah. them. Yeah, it's mad. Yeah. I mean, I didn't see that Whitney show. I would love to have seen it, but I imagine it felt disappointing just because of that. You want to see all the work. Yeah. I mean, I want that with every retrospective. I want them to get the whole. Like the Franz <laughs> West show is disappointing. I mean, a it sort of kills the work somehow to have it in that building but also it's just like no just show it all don't yeah, don't yeah. edit it down at all I want to see every last bit I want to see all Mike Kelly's work from the start to the finish I want the catalogue raisonné mm. then we can decide what this thing is um, but I guess there's no building but you'd have to get everything out of the tape and just give it over to one person yeah but that would be brilliant <laughs> <laughs> even if you didn't like the work you'd get yeah. to see inside their mind a lot wouldn't you? In ten, nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. We're done. That was the track. Bug Chaser, another song from John's Alien Sex Club album. So, that's all for this episode of the Skelf Podcast. I'd like to thank John Walter for taking the time to sit down and talk us through the exhibition. And I'd also like to thank all of the artists in the show. Anna Brass, Diana Taylor, Dominic Despirito, Edward Kay, Jaidong Chung, or, or Pete Chung, uh, Mikhail Raz, and Robert Holyhead. Al Dente will be on the Skelf website from the 17th of April to the 16th of July 2019 and archived thereafter. Oh, uh, the Will Alsop building mentioned is the Sharp Centre for Design, part of the Ontario College of Art and Design, OCAD, in Toronto. It was completed in 2004. The Cedric Price archives are at the Canadian Centre for Architecture in Montreal. Music on this episode is courtesy of the Cleaners from Venus and the Free Music Archive. We also heard excerpts of songs from John Walter's Alien Sex Club album. You can find links to all of John's work at www.johnwalter.net. I'm Mark Belden. I'd like to send a big thank you to Claire, Lizzie Munn, and everyone at Skelf. This production is supported using public funding by the National Lottery through Arts Council England. Skelf is at www.skelf.org.uk and all the past exhibitions are archived there. You can email us at podcast at Listen or subscribe uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Episode 3 will accompany the next exhibition in July 2019. Until then... Thank you.